and close. Here's Roberta. Somebody was talking about me. Good morning, everybody. Yes, it's still raining. Came up the back steps and got a little bit of a shower coming in. Yep. Well, that's a good camp. Why do Saturday night? All right. Well, the bright side is it's not snow. Or ice. Or ice. That's the worst. How many of you saw that? What was it? The anniversary of the big 78 storm. Was it like 45 years or something? 1978 storm? I was in college. How old were you? I was nine. <laughs> I remember it. I remember it was the only time in my lifetime that I could jump out of our window into the snow because it was right up to the... I only got by with it once, though. What year was that again? 1978. I was going to say, you two weren't... You and Jenny weren't thought of yet. Oh, that's not true. I was thought of. 124. I think I even had a name already. But you weren't here. I was not here, but I was not. I know. My third, my third child is still my child. Okay. 124. Thank you. <laughs> Lead me to Calvary. In the hymn book, 124, all four verses. King of my life.
page 450 might be new to some of you. I say that because it was new to the best undamned fans in the land. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Page 450.
live stream's not working. What? They're not apparent. No, they don't care for different reason, knows it. Okay. Go about your business. Musicians, be seated. Raise your hand if you'd like a prayer card. Jenny's going to bring those around. Onliners, send your prayer request to BBFOhio at protonmail.com. And we will go to prayer after we cut off the live stream. Anyone concerned about privacy, we don't air out your business online. Morning, everybody. There you go. And stand right next to where Jane is at. Uh, Brother Dave Reese would like to say something, and uh, I'll just let him. 14th of this month, we, me and Janice, have been married for 35 years. We've been married 35 years. Very welcome, When I was younger, I prayed for exactly what I got a wonderful woman. First time we met, I, the uh, teacher introduced us. I shook her hand. I said, you know, this is going to be my wife someday. <laughs> I had to chase her for about a month, but, you know, oh, that's the way it goes. <laughs> but anyhow, um, we got to know each other and so on and so forth. A few months later, I asked her January 11th of 88 to marry me. A year later, we got married, and I wouldn't change a thing but me. For a woman to be able to put up with me and a lot of us guys, and I just use it on her own, you know. Hey, I love her and always will. So that was just about on the 10th anniversary of the great blizzard that you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder what day, if it was exactly. All right. All right, well, let's get into our Bible study first with the current events update. We ask you to hold your question and comments to the end of the current events update. Israel at war today, January 28, 24, day 113 of the war. And we know the United Nations is anti-Israel. Yeah. We haven't said much about that, but it's just a fact. Uh, several UNRWA, I think how they pronounce that, uh, it's United Nations Relief and Work Agency. Um, were first of all, were it was noted that they were 
on social media and other places praising the Hamas slaughter, rape, and beheadings on October 7th. The United Nations workers should not be doing that. No human being that isn't devil-possessed should be doing that. And uh, one of them posted, This is an unforgettable, glorious morning. What a splendid sight, another one said, of uh, the attacks of October 7th. So the United States, the United Kingdom, and uh, a number of other countries have uh, paused their funding, uh, which sounds, it, that's the right thing to do. Uh, but uh, here's the statement. The United States is extremely troubled by the allegations that 12, this is in addition to what I just told you about the people praising it, 12 unwronged employees have been involved in the October 7 Hamas terrorist attack on Israel. The Department of State has temporarily paused uh, additional funding for the UN agency while we review these allegations and steps the United Nations is taking to address them. But the Hamas infiltration of UN aid organizations has been known for decades. This isn't a big surprise to anybody who's paid attention to the United Nations. This is a report that was posted uh, 16, 17, I'm sorry, almost 17 years ago, 2007, how UNRWA supports Hamas. Unfortunately, UNRWA has never taken steps to withhold assistance to extremist groups. In some cases, it has cooperated openly with terrorists. And today, UNRWA provides assistance in Gaza. It is directly providing financial and material support to the Hamas terrorist organization. So they act like this is some big surprise or shock. It's, it's been known for decades that they, well, since 1948, the United Nations has been helping the enemies of Israel. Go do a little research on the uh, condemnations that they passed, resolutions condemning nations. They have passed more against Israel than the entire world combined. Think of all the atrocities committed by just the Muslims in this world, and yet Israel's condemnations outnumber all of those combined with the rest of the world combined. It's just an amazing thing. I'll just say this before we move on. One of the greatest signs that we are in the last days is that people will not endure sound doctrine, and more and more preachers and professing Christians are turning against Israel. That is a sign of a satanic deception taking place among Christians. If you don't understand that the Jews are lost, need Jesus, and at the same time are still God's chosen nation for which Jesus Christ is going to return and save the remnant at the end of the tribulation and rule and reign as King of the Jews over the entire world, King of kings and Lord of lords from the throne of David in Jerusalem, you're an ignoramus at best, if not devil-possessed. There's something wrong with a Christian who can read the Bible and still say that God doesn't have a plan for Israel. There has to be a spiritual explanation for such ignorance. Amen. But we're seeing it in a growing amount of preachers and movements and people as we go into the last days. The second thing I want to mention is surveillance society. We've talked about a number of facets about this, otherwise called Big Brother, if you read the 1984 Orwellian version. 
uh, of this whole surveillance society. The NSA, which is a uh, black op, <laughs> they're the black budget, as they call it, because that means it's dark. You can't see how they're spending money. You can't see what they're doing. And the NSA is buying Americans' internet browsing records without a warrant. Now, this is what's openly admitted, by the way. We'll come back to that in a second. The spy agency argues the practice is entirely legal until a U.S. court says otherwise. That's their, it's illegal. But they're saying, well, until a court and a judge says otherwise, what do they do? They always make sure they go to a neocon or progressive liberal judge. They, they pick and choose who they stand in front of when it comes to court. Now, Nakasone is uh, our spokesperson said for the NSA, said the NSA purchases various types of information from data brokers for foreign intelligence, cybersecurity, and other authorized mission purposes. That's his statement. And that some of the data may come from devices used outside, and in certain cases, inside the United States. In some cases, that's baloney. Look, I just, I don't buy it. I believe everything on the internet, everything you send out on your phone, everything is going to a data warehouse filled with massive storage capabilities. That's just a fact. Here's, watch this. In a field in Utah, about a half hour south of Salt Lake City, a massive construction project is wrapping up. When it is completed in a few months, it will be the world's largest repository of digital information. Its owners, the U.S. National Security Agency, the NSA. James Bamford has been writing about the NSA for more than 30 years. All the information will be stored there, and then people at NSA headquarters or at their different listening posts around the world will be able to dip into it. It's called the Utah Data Center, sprawling more than 450,000 square meters with its own power plant, water pumping station to cool the servers, and intense security. It's a key part of the NSA strategy. Gather as much information as possible from as many sources as possible and use it to stop terrorist attacks and create strategic advantages over rival countries. What this is really about is the ability to take a lot of data and learn things that you otherwise can't. And to do that, you need to throw mountains of information at very powerful computers. Where the data is coming from is what concerns privacy advocates. So if I make a phone call, send a text message, do a Google search on my phone, that's information that could end up at this data center in Utah? Oh, definitely, any kind of communication. The NSA declined to provide an on-camera interview, but in a statement says, many unfounded allegations have been made about the planned activities of the data center. One of the biggest misconceptions about NSA is that we are unlawfully listening in on or reading emails of U.S. citizens. This is simply not the case. Right. Yeah, this is the same agency that said they weren't doing that when they were doing the illegal warrantless wiretapping for two and a half years. They were lying to the American public then. They're lying to the American public now. Once collected, the fear is that data stored here could be hacked from outside or leaked by people on the inside. The only real policy solution is to try to bind ourselves in advance and limit how much data we're collecting, and how it's going to be used. But the NSA is one of the most secretive agencies in the U.S. government, with little oversight from Congress. Even its budget is not publicly released. So what data is stored here, and where it came from, will likely never be fully known. 
Critics of the NSA say collecting this much data not only has the potential to invade people's privacy, but may be ineffective at stopping terrorist attacks. Intelligence work, they say, is like finding a needle in a haystack, and collecting this much data is simply adding more hay to the stack. If you keep adding more electronic hay onto the electronic haystack, you're never going to find that electronic needle, and that's what's needed. But there's no sign the NSA or intelligence agencies in other countries are slowing down this hunt for data and information. Is this an arms race for data? Yeah, it's very much an arms race for data. And this data center in Utah is soon to be the United States' biggest weapon in its information arsenal. Jim Spellman, CCTV, Bluffdale, Utah. Now, first of all, I was born at night, but not last night. <laughs> and the NSA is probably collecting all data, period. I'd say probably just because, I mean, they might not... Uh, collect something here or there for whatever reason. But another thing is, if that concerned you, then I hate to tell you, that was 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine what the secretive agency that no one knows is doing, what they're doing now, Amen. 15 years later. Yeah. Data warehousing is now in overdrive. And I'll guarantee you, any private company storing your data, the NSA has access to it. Don't kid yourself otherwise. The heated debate over data centers in Northern Virginia continues. We've covered it extensively here on Fox 5. And we know that Virginia has the highest concentration of data centers in the country. So you're probably wondering... Could my backyard be next? Our Katie Barlow has been digging into this. Katie, would you find out? Well, Marina, the short answer is if you live in Virginia, don't expect the data center development boom to slow down anytime soon. And Marylanders could be next. In Virginia, it all started as a draw for high-speed connectivity, due in part to the placement of the Pentagon there. But the reasons to build in Virginia have only grown since. One is unparalleled connectivity. The second is reliable and environmentally clean energy. And the third is a, a mutually beneficial incentive program in the state of Virginia. According to a recent state audit, Virginia taxpayers provided more than $1 billion through the data center exemption in 2022. But not everyone agrees with Factoro. Ivy Main with Virginia Sierra Club says data centers are ramping up demand on utilities, and that will end up costing ratepayers more in the long run. They Now, remember North Pole. That takes care of a lot of this energy issue the, uh, and the process and everything. And so if you take what we told you in recent weeks, combine with this, that's just two states, folks. Just in two states. It's coming to your backyard. <laughs> that's AWS, which is Amazon services. Yep. $3.5 billion being spent for five more Ohio data centers and they share all that information with the government, just rest assured, no matter what they say. Microsoft looks to buy 300 acres of land in Ohio for data warehouses. That's just two companies in Ohio. And folks, they're all working together. We know that for a fact now. It's not a, that's not a conspiracy theory, it's a fact. Amen. And we could spend an hour and not exhaust all the data on or about data. I mean, yeah. just all the different places where they're building these massive warehouses 
that are going to hold all this information, and yes, it will be used against you. The amount of data storage by governments and private companies is beyond anything that any of us could even imagine. Amen. Um, we can't imagine, this. the whole world has gone into an area where we, we can't even really, most of us will admit it. We can't put a, tell me, explain to me a trillion dollars. And how many trillions are we now in debt as a country? I think it's, is it 32 or something like that? And it, it, explain to me the, 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 the amount of data is in like, is it called exabytes or something like that? I mean, it's just something, it doesn't mean anything to anybody who can think. I mean, it's like it's beyond. It's not infinity, but... <laughs> and it's all preparing the way for the Antichrist system that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, it's, it's, there's a lot that goes into that we don't have time to get into. But again... Uh, I say this, it, some people sometimes get a little depressed because they see the darkness that surrounding us, everything going on. It should do the opposite to you as a Bible believer. As a Bible believer, you should be thinking, wow, God is amazing. God's word is amazing. God has told us every bit of this beforehand. If you're sitting there shocked, shame on you. You shouldn't be shocked. The Bible has told you ahead of time this is all going to happen. And if you're getting depressed... Shame on you. <laughs> so I can tell you. You should be encouraged knowing God is in control. God's word is true. And everything he says, including how it all ends up, is all true. Yeah. Amen, amen. Amen. Be informed. Pray accordingly. Any comments, questions? The lovely young lady in the front. So we, of course, we know this, but Satan is not omniscient. And Satan is not omnipresent. So all of this is just a big fake that he's putting together so he can know everything and be all powerful. That's a good point. It's it's just a big fake yeah, because it proves that you know God God grades your thoughts. He knows them before you think them. Right. But Satan doesn't. Satan yeah. is going to have a fake Messiah, a fake spirit. He's going to have a, a, a fake omniscient big brother God watching you and so forth. It's just amazing. Uh, thing to behold. Yes, Jessica. God said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. That's true, too. So we can trust Him. Amen. And but beyond that, us. but beyond that, is also to recognize that He's told us all ahead of time specifics. That's a general promise for every believer of all ages, at all times, no matter what the situation, and it's true. But it's important to also recognize that He's told us specifics before they happen. And so when you see these things going on, you shouldn't get scared. And I'm talking to somebody who's told me that she's scared by this I stuff. Am, but I can trust you. You can, but you've got to go beyond the general promises and look and see. He's told us specifically what's going to happen. Amen. I mean, it's not, we shouldn't be surprised by any of this or scared by any of it. We should be like, yep, he said he was going to do that. Yep, he said that's going to happen. Yep, he's in control. We can trust him. We can, and we can trust him. Yes, amen. But you already knew that, Jessica. Yes. Uh, you asked your question. I want to answer. You already knew that before the stuff you said scared you. But I can. You already knew God would never leave you nor forsake you. That's why I'm addressing it 
and telling you beyond that because you already knew that and you still let this stuff scare you. But I shouldn't. You should because not just because of the general promise that he will never leave you and forsake you, but he's even told you specifically these things are going to happen. So why are you scared or surprised when God says that's exactly what was going to happen? Right. And Sean? Yes, uh, the uh, anti-Israel people. A lot of people like looking for real news because of all the fake news out there you just can't believe or trust. Um, a lot of people love following one person. He's a military man. He's anti-vaccine. Uh, he's a Christian. But with that, you bring up Israel and Israel's plan and even the Bible to support it. He will go ballistic because he hates Israel. And who is this? This guy's name is Stu Peters. Yes. Stu Peters is one of them. Mark Dice is wrong about Israel. Uh, the, uh, there's a number of conservative commentators. They're Bible ignoramuses. They, they reject dispensations. Uh Eric Metaxas, have you heard of him? Oh, yeah. And he just this week came out blasting dispensationalists. Listen, blow it out your ear, Eric. We are not going to stop believing the Bible just because you're an ignoramus. Amen. And he acts like what we're doing, what we're saying is we believe the rapture could happen at any moment, and when that happens, they can have it. Somehow these guys who are anti-dispensational Bible ignoramuses want to say, well... You're just handing it over to Antichrist. After the rapture, absolutely. Yeah. Amen. But then they lie and bear false witness against us by claiming we're handing it over now, not by any stretch. And I can name a bunch of other people who have done the same thing. I'll take two more and then we have to go on. We'll start with Mark. Well, like I said before, the woman government tries to get into this data mining, the more cumbersome their operation which means it's going to be more prone to servers uh, having outages. But not to contradict you, Martin, but they are they're, they're, the advance in technology is taking care of those issues. True. But like I, what, remember I said, it's keeping a network secure is a never-ending battle between keeping it secure yeah. and hackers from the outside. So the hackers from the outside also gain knowledge. Yes. And also, and also being detected. But we know God's word That's is true. But we know God's word is true. So at least after the rapture, He's going to be able to successfully do this, right? I mean, right now there are enough hackers I think that are getting in the way, and I think God's allowing it because this is planned. But uh, at some point after the rapture, it's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. But there will be pockets of resistance. According to the book of Daniel, we studied all that and everything, and that's true. But you know what, Martin? 99% of Americans have no idea what you just said. Yeah. So there are a tiny number of hackers who are going to be able to do things, but 99% of this room, it's not an insult, folks. I'm not saying you're dumb. You're typical. I'm one of them. I, I, I couldn't hack to save my life. How many in here consider yourself a hacker? Anybody in here can hack? I can, I can, yeah, I can preach and hack, but as far as being a computer hacker, you know, I know a couple of people, and uh, they, as far as I know, they're not hacking government things, but I know a couple of people probably could do it, but, you know, by and large, the human population is ready for this, 
just uh, and then after the rapture, a lot of the hackers go up with us. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Brian, give me my last one. Based on your previous comment, be not deceived. It's not us that hands things over to Antichrist after the rapture. It's God. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, the only thing that's kept all the previous dictators and wannabes to, from taking power is the fact that it's not God's time yet. Exactly. That's what stopped Hitler. That's what stopped Napoleon. That's what stopped them all. <laughs> we don't have any power to do that. Yeah. And they don't need the people who, you know, it's a joke when people say, we're going to stop the Antichrist. Yeah. Right. It, it's going to happen. God's word is true. Amen. He's going to take power. Amen. And those guys, most of them I don't take seriously because like I've said many times, I don't see any of those people out building bunkers in the hills and storing up all the ammunition and food they need to fight for seven years. Exactly. <laughs> we think they're going to be around to stop the Antichrist. So with that, isn't it interesting times to be alive? Uh, yeah. A couple of you think so. All right, let's open with a word of prayer and get into our Bible study. And uh, Brother Brian, did you open the statement for Yes, sir. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time today. <clears throat> thank you for all the brothers and sisters who are here and the ones online. Lord, we know that your word is true, and every time we preach it, every time we share a gospel track, we pray that by your spirit, there are many more that will be drawn to your son. We are here today to hear your word, Lord, and we know that uh, it pleased you by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, and I pray that everyone here and everyone on the believes, and that very soon, Lord, we will see you face to face. Yes. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Acts chapter 13. We start a new chapter. Amen. Verses 1 through 12. Paul versus Elimus is why and what we've titled this, and uh, I have the sword fight, I'll explain that uh, later. If I'd had a little more time and foresight, I would have got some swords and had Charlie and uh, Brian or somebody do a little sorting. Uh, what are they called? Fencing? <laughs> so we open chapter 13 with Saul, now called Paul, in this chapter. Dealing with a bold enemy of the gospel of Christ. You know, the enemies of Christ are very bold. We have to be as bold and more bold. Amen? Amen. So, verses 1 through 12, we're going to read, and I'll ask you to join me in the even verses. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul. 
and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled the, with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, and said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So Saul, which we see is now going to be referred to as Paul, beginning here, begins his first mission journey. So Saul and Barnabas are sent. We'll see that in the first three verses. Elimus then has what I call his treachery takes place in verses 4 through 8. And then we see the battle, Paul versus Elimus, verses 9 through 12. So let's start there with Saul and Barnabas being sent here in verses 1 through 3. It says in verse 1, now there were in the church that was at Antioch. I want to stop there. It's important that as we read through the Bible, we recognize that local churches are not multiple choice to Christians. Christians who are not in, in a local church in one way or another, in this day and age, they have the option, as more churches go into apostasy, they can at least be online with the church and connect with the church in that way. Uh, but that's God's plan for every believer. There's no such thing as the spiritual gift of being a lone ranger. Amen. Hi, old Sue! You know, that's not an option for Christians who are right with God. Amen. There was a church, and all the people in the region attended that church at Antioch. God's will is for believers to meet and serve. That's the other thing. You don't come to church saying, I better get something out of this. Well, you should get something out of it, but that shouldn't be your attitude. You should be, I hope that I can be a blessing to somebody. Amen. And it doesn't have to be anything big. Uh, I mean, anything done in front of everybody or anything like that. I, I want to tell you something. Folks who clean up after themselves, you're a blessing. Amen. <laughs> and those of you who are cleaning up after other people, you're a blessing. Um, and then sometimes, you know, uh, I make a mess and forget about it. And, uh, you know, you, you, somebody comes after me, that's a blessing. And now if I made it a habit, you know, you'd probably, Jenny would say something. But, but also, we don't have this as much now, but, you know, when you see a mother and uh, her husband, or sometimes it might be a single mother who would come in here with children, and you help them out. Or see somebody having str struggling getting through the door, because they're maybe using a cane or something, go open the door for them. You know, that's just little things that we do coming with the right attitude. We come not to be ministered to, but to minister. Who else came for that same reason? Jesus. Jesus. Did you know that? The Bible says he came not to be ministered to, but to minister. And that should be our attitude at all times. But how can you do that if you don't even get together with a local church? 
I say that because it's becoming more and more. Hebrews predicted that. He said, you know, we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Paul wrote that. He said, even more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because it's clear in his other epistles that would be the habit of people. They would start to stay away from local churches. And, every, and I understand people get hurt in local churches. Or they get they go to a church for years and it turns on them and they start using the ESV and preaching Calvinism and go, or going charismatic or just get nasty or whatever. That doesn't mean you give up on God. No. Nope. You give up on that local church, you go find another one. You live in a place, we have a bunch of people right now watching in, in numerous states and several other countries right now watching because where they live, they don't have a Bible-believing church to drive to. Well, you're welcome here. We welcome you. Now, but you know how many people over the years I've told, hey, I found a church in your area. You should go visit it. We're not here to try to collect everybody around the world who could go to a local church. But if you don't have one, we welcome you. And we've had a number of families. We kind of lost contact with most of them because they get in that local church and get busy. Yes. Praise the Lord. We'll catch up in heaven. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, remember, we're in Antioch here. Antioch was where the disciples were called Christians first. So if you were to drive through Antioch, I'm sure they had a church sign, and it said, Christians, you heard it here first. <laughs> right? Would you expect that back in you know, 40 AD or whenever this was? That's Photoshop. I like the BBS. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> That's Photoshop. <laughs> All right, so verse 1 continues. Prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. The word Niger means black. Amen. That's all it means. And uh, it, the word Negro is the same. It's, it originally wasn't a slam. It became a slam. And uh, my only fault for those in the black community is that they allow it to be a slam, but then they, so many of their most popular artists use it all the time. You know what I'm saying? That's only my, my big criticism uh, when it comes to that word, I don't use that word. I won't use there cert certain words I won't use if I know that you don't want me to use that word. But we talk about people with the word queer, and whew, people are just brainwashed into revolting if someone says that word. And yet, what's John Allball run into when he goes yeah. to an art show? Is some homo walking around with the word queer right on his T-shirt? They call themselves that, but why do they? Do? It's about power. It's about you bowing to them and not using words that they can use, but you're not allowed to use. Same thing's going on in the uh, civil rights movement right now. The people in power are not interested in what the real people in the streets are going through. It's all about them maintaining power over you. And I say that because we're going to see an instance of it right here in this text. Same thing. Nothing's ever changed. Was it Ecclesiastes 1 9? The thing that hath been is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. So when you see any group being controlled by people who are only interested in maintaining that control, that's been like that since the beginning of time. Now, men um, listed in this text, by the way, just I always like to point this out are uh, people that we will one day meet 
in the New Jerusalem. So keep that in mind. You read through these names. Just, just take a moment to let that name sink in. You might want to remember one of these days. <laughs> We're going to meet these people in heaven. Amen. Heaven is real. And regarding the matter of prophets in Acts, we refer you to our discussion uh, back in Acts 11, 27 to 30. And in these days came prophets. So I'm not going to go on and on about that. But verse 1 ends and says, And Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who is Paul. Think of that. Herod's foster brother is among the prophets and teachers at Antioch. And Herod's a wicked, nasty man. He's been killing Christians. And his own foster brother is a Christian. Madeline Murray O'Hare. Did you know her son became a Christian? Amen. <laughs> there are all kinds of examples like that through the years where uh, some of the most rabid anti-Christian people and their own spouses or offspring uh, or siblings uh, became believers. So the gospel is penetrated right into the household of Caesar beyond just Herod, which we're told in Philippians 4.22, all the saints salute you chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. Isn't that amazing? Wonderful. <laughs> so we moved into verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now we're not told how this actually happened. If the Holy Spirit, the voice, you know, was heard from out of nowhere, uh, or if the Holy Ghost spoke through one of the prophets. Uh, but I can tell you this, that if anybody here claims to be speaking on behalf of the Holy Ghost... Uh, we'll let you speak. We'll record it. And whatever you say better happen. Because if not, you'll never speak again. Because that'll make you a false prophet. Just keep that in mind. Yeah, Johnny? Just uh, want to point out the interesting thing here is that in verse 2, I think this is one of the few, very few places in the Bible where God, where the Holy Ghost is quoted. Yeah. That seems to like there, yeah. That does not happen often. No. <laughs> we know that uh, all uh, scriptures given by inspiration of God and holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Yeah. But as far as this direct type of quotation, you're right. It doesn't happen very often. So I say this. This is an apostolic event. This doesn't happen normally in your lifetime. I don't believe it's a thing that you should expect to happen. But again, we refer you to our previous comments about apostolic miracles versus general miracles as we move on to verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So, and they're off. And uh, they, that's how it should be with us. Once we know what God wants us to do, don't waste time. Pray. Share with us. Hey, the Lord has led me to do such and such. Pray for me. Uh, but Pedro believes the Lord has led him to start a woodworking business. Amen. And so uh, we're, what do we do? We pray for him. And now he's off. And uh, we pray that the Lord will bless him. That's true of any of you, whatever you're doing. I think Doug, you had a real estate thing going on. And we pray the Lord. But we, you know, we always say, no matter what it is, Lord, if it's your will. And there's times where you may think the Lord's driving you towards something. And if it doesn't then pan out, as they say, pan like you're panning, 
then what's that mean? That just means, hey, you're willing to be teachable and God will show you. We've had some of you start things and you don't end up doing it. Just always be sensitive to the leading of God. There's been times where people started something, didn't go through with it, they kind of backed off. But what happened? They were able to befriend somebody or witness to somebody in the meantime. So it, it'll never be a waste if wherever you're at, you're serving the Lord. Keep that in mind. So we come to Elimus' treachery in verses 4 through 8. Uh, verse 4. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So the trek begins to go where no apostle has gone before. To Cyprus. Now, I don't know if you've looked at that on a map. Kind of looks like an anteater out in the middle of the Mediterranean there. And you can see on the map, I think I blew it up there, from Antioch and Seleucia, they hit the water and they come to Cyprus. And they're at Salamis, which is on the uh, east side of Cyprus. If you can just picture that in your mind as we're talking. Verse 5, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. First of all, this is not church. The Seventh-day Adventists and other Sabbatarians falsely claimed that this is how they had church. This was not church. This was synagogue. They went in to preach to unsaved Jews who hadn't believed on Jesus. This was a ministry of missionary type of ministry, evangelism ministry. This isn't a local church gathering. So keep that in mind when you see that they go in on the synagogue. It's not because that was the way Christians met on Saturday, uh, Seventh-day Sabbath. That was a mission. They were outreaching. Then the next day on Sunday is when the Christians got together. And they talk about what happened the day before when they were trying to reach the Jews. <laughs> they gave a full report. So notice the humility of John and simplicity of the mission. In verse 5 there, they preach the word of God. That is all you're supposed to do. Whether you don't go to synagogue, <laughs> no matter where you're at. If you're around people who are unsaved, then you need to preach the gospel to those lost people. And you may not have an opportunity to start a conversation. You may not talk very, be able to talk in a lengthy conversation. That's why you should come armed with gospel tracts. And you can leave them with the gospel. You may not have time to talk to them. And, and you, you don't, don't do this to people if they're waiting on you. If you're in a drive-thru, you're in a restaurant. Don't get them in trouble with their boss by not allowing them to do their job. Don't carry on a 15-minute conversation. Um, you're making them a thief. They're stealing time from their employer. So what do you do? You read the room. You can tell if you got a couple of minutes, go ahead and spend a couple minutes talking with them. But if there's a line behind you and everything, then give them the track, pray for them, and move on. Maybe you'll see them some other time where there's not a line behind you and you'll have a few more minutes. You're planting seeds anyway. Amen? And so you got to use your common sense. I am guilty of not using common sense on a couple of occasions. I'll give you one example. We went out. I knew it was going to rain, so I said, let's go out before it rains. So what do we do? We go out and put about 500 gospel tracts on cars in a parking lot. Didn't dawn on me what I then, I got a message the next week. So I says, you know, I, I had to scrape that stupid thing off my windshield. And I realized, oh, that was pretty dumb. Some of the people came out, got the track, and went on. 
But some of the people came out to find a mushy track on, you know, on that stuck to their windshield, and they couldn't read it because they had to scrape it off. Just use your mind, you know, God-given, reasonable, uh, some of you have anyway, <laughs> and, and don't do something that's just going to cause a big problem or anything. But verse 6, we're going to move on. And when they had gone through the aisle unto Paphos. So this is Paul's journey. Some of you have seen the maps, and they're kind of hard to read sometimes. But if you look, the western tip is where Paphos is on the island of Cyprus. So if you follow the red line going dipping down, you see the pointed, the arrows pointing that way. The red line above that is going in the wrong opposite direction. That's when they come home later. It goes to the western tip of Cyprus, Paphos. That's where they're at. And now we meet Bar Jesus, who, as we will see, is also known as Elimus in verse 6. They found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, this, that means son of Jesus, the Greek, Jesus, Bar-Jesus. In Hebrew, it would have been Bar-Yeshua, son of Joshua. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus of Nazareth. You always have to remember, you know how many Jesus, uh, uh, how many men named Jesus in Mexico there are? The same was true in, you know, 40 A.D. in Israel. There were a lot of people named Joshua, and that's translated into Greek. Jesus translated into English Jesus. So this doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. There's people who lie and claim that Jesus married Mary Magdalene and had children and all that. That's total satanic nonsense. Doesn't have any basis in history. But um, he was a male witch. They like to sometimes be called wizards. Um, and I posted this on social media. Uh, well, yes, it, all witchcraft is evil. Yeah. Yeah. We'll look at the text in a moment, Galatians 5. If you believe in good witches, Satan has already deceived you. Yeah. We have to explain this to the little ones because so many, even good family shows and family cartoons will show a good witch. Yeah. Yeah, honey, son, you know, you have to understand there's no such thing as a good witch when it comes to... They may be a good, decent person that feeds their cat and, you know, does obeys the law, but all witchcraft is evil. Bad. Amen. Look at Galatians 5, the text there. Just over a few pages to the right, to the east side of your Bible. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Amen. Verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Read verse 20. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. We don't have time to define each one of those terms by a dictionary. But the second word, what's the second word? Witchcraft. Does, why doesn't it say dark witchcraft or black witchcraft? Why doesn't it make a difference? Because all witchcraft is evil. That's right. And verse 21 then says, Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, read the rest with me. That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
period. Witchcraft. Um, I think I mentioned on the, the, the text, yeah, you'll find Hallmark, um, Disney, um, what, what was the, the show years ago, Bewitched. I had somebody tell me one time, well, Samantha was a good witch. Yeah. Well, she was portrayed as a good witch, and she was very pretty. I had a crush on her, I know. <laughs> I think I was nine at the time. And, uh, you know, but as nice as and pretty as she was, what she was doing was wicked, is evil. Witchcraft is always bad. You can't Christianize witchcraft. <laughs> Amen. So verse 7, back to our text. Which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Uh, we talked about that before. That doesn't happen very often, does it? How many of you get phone calls? Hey, won't you come over here and talk to me about the Bible? <laughs> These days, uh, it's been years since it's happened to me. Um, well, let me take that back. There have been two or three people who wanted to talk about things related to the ministry. But as a pastor, I kind of I cheat. You know, I'm kind of on call, so to speak. If you, if you take those aside in my personal life, just people in my personal walk and everything, it's very rare that happens. Um, but it might happen, so what? You should be ready. Exactly. What are you going to say to somebody if they call you up and say they want to talk about the gospel? Have questions. Well, what about who married Cain? What about those tribes in Africa? You know, all those questions that come up. You got some answers? You, you're supposed to prepare now so that when they come to you and those questions come, of course, any of you with kids already know you've got to be ready. And so, you know, kids are going to ask good questions as they grow up. But some of you, you know, you, you might have nieces and nephews or whatever. They're going to catch you off guard if you're not ready. In Neighbors, in season, out of season. Preach the word. Amen. So it's funny how often you find prudent men with a satanic parasite connected to him, though. Just think of that. What microphone died on me? Charlie, could you uh, switch the batteries up for me? How many of you have seen? Well, let me just tell you. I have to tell you, it's happened to me a number of times. Where somebody seems like a nice guy, becomes a friend of mine, and the next thing you know, they're trying to pull me away from the Lord. Now, it's been a number of years since it's happened to me. Uh, I guess I'm getting old and, you know, don't have that happen as often when you get old, maybe. <laughs> but I got saved and I was about 19 years old. And for the next 15 years, I thought I made friends. Mm -hmm. And over and over and over, even when I was going through some bad things, you turned off. But even as I was going through bad things, bad times, and you'd expect a Christian friend to try to encourage you to stay close to the Lord and lift you up, over and over, they would just try to push me away from the Lord and give me excuses to just backslide. I mean, warn you folks, Satan knows we like to have friends. Well, he's going to bring a few along in your lifetime. And you just have to stay the line and insist that you don't, I'm not going there with you. And you won't have to do much else. If you won't go with them, they'll leave you. You don't have to leave them. 
But there's times where you might have to say, I'm sorry, we've, this friendship is over. Unless or until you repent and you stop trying to ruin me and shipwreck my faith and pull me into sin, I can't be friends with someone like that. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amen. And Proverbs 13, 16, Every prudent man dealeth with knowledge, but a fool layeth open his folly. Those friends of yours, if you don't see it ahead of time, at some point, even as they may be trying to pull you into sin, their folly should become plain to you. At some point, you will see that their life is a mess for a reason. They're never really happy for a reason. And Elimus, he's going to lay open his folly here in the text, verse 8. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation. This is Bar Jesus, also known as Elimus, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Think of that. He blatantly is trying to get Sergi Sergio, is what I want to call him, Sergius Paulus, and pull him away from the gospel and pull him away. Now, I've seen this with my own eyes. I've seen where someone is witnessing. I was on the streets witnessing, preaching the gospel, I had a sign up, handed out Bibles and tracts, and on more than one occasion, I had somebody who just, and there were two different uh, theologies that produced this. Charismatic and Calvinist. I had Charismatics come up and want to talk to me about speaking in tongues. I said, listen, we can talk about that some other time. I'm preaching the gospel to lost souls right now. Of course, they're like, well, if you're not preaching that they must speak in tongues to give evidence or just get out of my face or I'm called police. I've got business here that the Lord has called me to. I don't have time for this. That Calvinists basically tell me, oh, you know, it's no big deal. If they're elect, they'll get saved. You know, you don't need to be doing all this. And I've told the story a number of times. Maybe some of you uh, heard me talk about it. But gave me a stack of books about this far off off the ground, free, to try to indoctrinate me so that I wouldn't preach on the streets anymore. <laughs> That's the kind of thing. And I've seen it. Jenny and I have seen it. She could tell you stories where someone we're talking to and someone cut right in and stand in front of you to keep you from being able to talk to them, interrupt you. How many of you experienced that, David? Okay. Trying to talk to somebody about the gospel and they just... If I don't leave on Acts 2.38, I'm walking Oh, yeah. It's just an amazing thing, but that's what's going on here with Elimus in verse 8. Your, your worst story was, uh, was, was Morris and High Street. When they try to run you over. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's one other one. Jenny and I both were out there with a sign telling the homosexual crowd who is celebrating get the gay marriage decision of the Supreme Court. And our sign said, uh, uh, homosexuality is a sin. Turn to Jesus and be saved. And we had other uh, another sign and some other tracks and everything. And they drove their car right up on the sidewalk trying to run over us. And they didn't see that the berm was about that tall. And, and so their car went boom, <laughs> and it gave us enough warning to get out. We just got behind the telephone or the uh, light pole. They, they had to go through that light pole, and they didn't have enough speed to do that. It's a metal pole, 
So we were able to get away from him. Yes, Joe? We had a friend, uh, his name was Rick Beck, and um, we went down to the gay parade many, many, many years ago, and Rick was preaching the gospel, and the ladies walking in the parade pulled up their shirts yeah. in yeah. order to yeah. dissuade him. Didn't work. He kept on. Good friend. <laughs> That'd be a little distracting, but <laughs> there's nothing more wicked than thwarting a soul that is seeking God. That's right. There are parents who have purposely kept their children from going to church and going to vacation Bible school or Sunday school or just going to church with friends because they don't want their kids to get saved. But Paul is about to wield his spiritual sword. Hence why we showed the uh, fencing at the beginning. Verses 9 through 12. Paul versus Elimus. Verse 9 says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. I love that. I don't know that I've done that. I'm sure there have been times where I look back, I think I could give you some stories about it. But I've also seen it. I've been with men... And there's something going on. I can just see it in their eyes. They're about to go after somebody. <laughs> and uh, they don't go after them with a gun. They don't go after them with a literal sword. But they do go after them with a sword. And we're witnessing a transition of Saul to Paul in name and in spirit. I believe there's a reason why from this point on he's called Paul. Saul of Tarsus died and Paul was the new man. When you got saved, if you were genuine and you repented toward God with faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, you die and a new man comes to life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're supposed to be a new creature. If you're not just means one thing of two. You're either never saved or you're saved but you just are stiff-necked and rebellious and refusing to give up your life for Jesus. Doesn't mean you're not saved necessarily, but it does mean you're losing reward Amen. and you'll be ashamed of yourself when you stand before the Lord. So what do you do? You die to yourself. I belong to you now, Lord. Let them mock me. Let them make fun of me. I'm going to serve you. I don't care. I don't care about me anymore. I only care about you. Can you say that in your heart? If not, you're not right with God. That's the attitude of every spirit-filled, born-again Christian who's right with God. I no longer matter anymore. I only care what God thinks of me. I don't see a lot of that in today's Christianity. So Luke now refers to Saul as Paul for the duration of the book of Acts. Uh, the word, the name Saul will appear four times in Acts 13.21. It refers to King Saul in the Old Testament. The other three times, Acts 22.7, 22.13, and 26.14, are when Paul's retelling of the Damascus Road experience, and he quotes others calling him Saul. So from this point on, in the narrative, he's called Paul. So verse 10 says, this is Paul's words, and said, read that with me, verse 10. 
and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? That is horrible. That is terrible. How could Paul be so mean? That's what people would be saying to you if you said this to some guy out there. Called him a child of the devil? Who are you to judge? But Paul is just pushing people away from the gospel. How many times have I heard that through you? You're just pushing people away. By doing what? By just declaring that there's one Savior. He died on the cross and shed His blood. Was buried and rose again. All other religions are false. All other gospels are false. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Sin is sin. Hell is real. Hell has flames. Hell is eternal. Heaven is just as real. And if you're not saved, you're not going there. And for that, I'm called a hater. Amen. And you're just pushing people away. Right. Well, they're not really wrong. Because Paul said if you preach the gospel right, they'll either get saved or be offended. If you're preaching a gospel that doesn't offend the one who rejects it, you're not doing it right. And we are in a fight. A lot of people just are floating through this life not realizing it's supposed to be a, a fight. What did Paul say before he dies? I fought a good fight. <laughs> Isaiah 49.2 And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. And what else is called a sword? The Word of God. Amen. So you want your mouth to be a sharp sword in the eyes of God? Speak God's Word. Preach God's Word. Stand up for God's Word. That's why we showed the fencing. Because in a spiritual sense, Paul was in a sword fight with Elimus. In a spiritual sense, every time you face off with somebody who is resisting the Gospel and contradicting the Word of God, you're in a sword fight. Well, you better have your short, uh, sword sharpened. How do you do that? By word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's how you sharpen your sword. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You fight the battle in the spirit, and then what happens in the flesh, in the physical realm, is a reflection of what's going on in the spirit. Amen. And so verse 11 says, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. I just think that's interesting because I believe that the unsaved man or woman their last moment alive on earth is a mist and a darkness and then they lift up their eyes in hell. God is giving this guy actually another chance. How many times would you like to have the power to do that? <laughs> Just knock him down blind. That's why he didn't give us that power. We'd be using it all the time. <laughs> It'd be a whole new population of blind people. Most of them so he put Washington D.C. Yeah, yeah. Columbus <laughs> gives it around for the money. Sure blind. Verse twelve. Then we close. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. 
So some of us were jolted to move by life-altering events. I know when I got saved, there were a lot of things happening in my life shaking me up. And I thank God for that. I feel bad for people who are able to just go along in their unbelief and not have their life shaken up. (laughs) But I believe that day will come. For most people, God's going to at least shake you up at some point to try to jolt you into facing your need of salvation, facing your sin. Just food for thought as we close here. There isn't a word about any further effort to reach you like this. Think about that. Paul blinds him and then leaves him behind. Goes on. Sometimes there's people in your life you need to just let go of and put them in God's hands. Prolonged attention toward the wicked who rejects a clear presentation of the gospel is foreign to Scripture. I know people who have spent all kinds of energy and time and effort to reach some reprobate and ignore others who are lost and need to hear the gospel. Now, if you have somebody like that in your life that you're not ignoring the rest of the lost world, but once in a while you go back and church, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about people who, in, in their lives, they spend very little time outside of trying to reach a handful of reprobates. Sometimes you just got to put them in the Lord's hands. Because while you're spending time and effort on that one Bible rejecter, you are neglecting opportunities to reach those who have not yet heard the gospel. That's, you know, uh, it's a weird thing that most local churches that I was in in the 90s, you'd go to church and you'd hear a message about salvation. To a room full of people who are supposed to be saved. That's kind of the flip side of this, but it's the same sort of thing. Spending all your energy preaching the gospel to save people, and then outside of the church building, they had a handful of people they always prayed for and tried to witness to and everything. And that was the extent of their ministry. Folks, if you're not saved here this morning, then you're a liar because you all told me you're saved. There's nothing I can do about that. If you're not saved, that's on you. And we do preach the gospel because it's right in our text and we read it and we we declare it. But you come here in order to learn the word and to grow. So that then you can go out and preach the word and preach the gospel to those around you. Not just to a handful of people in your life. People you come across in the grocery store. People you work with. Other people in your family you've never talked to about the gospel. You need to spread the seed. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's just a little food for thought. Knowing that God will not turn away anyone who will repent toward Him with faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You, Lord, for this study. We thank You for what we were challenged with in this text as we are with every portion of the Bible we read and study. I pray that everyone here is reading the Bible every day, growing and learning, and taking these messages they hear at BBF and expanding their knowledge of the Word, always growing, always learning, and all for your glory and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, let's go to 243 in the hymn book.
243, room at the cross for you. Stand if you can. Say goodbye to the onliners on three. One, two, three. See you here.